0: The following episode of Escape Pod is rated R for strong language and graphic gory violence. But it's performed by a deity, so you gotta give it some latitude.
1: Escape Pod 388 March 21st, 2013 Trixie and the Pandas of Dread by Eugene Foster.
0: Welcome to Escape Pod, the weekly science fiction podcast. Off the port bow, you'll see the gravitational anomaly caused by how many people didn't like the way Mass Effect 3 ended. On the starboard bow is the Gallifrey maelstrom, home to every stripe of Doctor Who fandom. Yes, that one too. I'm Alistair, your host for this week, and this week's story comes to us from one of my favourite authors. Yuji Foster is a regular on the EA podcast. who, like all the authors we find doing repeat business, I hate that term, shall we go with frequent flyers instead? She's a regular visitor because she's both extremely good and endlessly inventive. Her anthology, Returning My Sister's Face and other Far Eastern tales of whimsy and malice, is out now and is essential. Several of the stories will be familiar to you. The others deserve to be. So, shroud yourself in mortality and prepare to whoop some ass. Because it's story time.
1: Trixie and the Pandas of Dread by Yuji Foster Trixie got out of her cherry red godmobile and waved away the flitting cherubim waiting to bear her to her sedan chair. She wasn't in the mood for a reverent chorus of hosannas, and the sedan chair desperately needed respringing. She felt every jostle and jounce from those damned pandas. A day didn't pass that she didn't regret adopting giant pandas as her sacred vahanas. Sure, it seemed like a good idea at the time. They were so cute with their roly-poly bellies and black-masked faces, but they were wholly unsuited to be beasts of conveyance. The excessive undulation of their waddling gates was enough to make Captain Ahab seasick, and their exclusive diet of bamboo made them perpetually flatulent. The novelty of being hauled along by farting ursines in a stomach-roiling sedan chair had gotten very old very fast. But there wasn't a lot she could do about it now, It was all about the brand. Pandas were part of her theology. If she adopted new Vahanas, she'd likely end up with a splitter faction. Possibly even a reformation. Such a pain in the ass. So she'd start walking more. Well, floating, really. Since gods weren't supposed to tread the earth. Appearances and all. Drifting a hair's breadth above the pavement, Trixie pulled out her holy tablet and launched the Karmic Retribution app. The first thumbnail belonged to a Mr. Tom Ayler, the owner of the walkway and the two-story colonial house it led to. She unpinched two fingers across the screen to zoom up Mr. Ayler's details. Yesterday, Mr. Ehler, under the handle Godness Winds, had posted on a public forum a series of inflammatory comments in response to a YouTube video depicting a street fight. His sins were a nearly perfect fit for the specifications she'd told the app to flag, right down to the secondary parameters. Mr. Ehler's toxic vitriol was also egregiously ungrammatical. But even reading, Yo niggers, white man gave you freedom, white man take it away, and "Fucking street monkey deserve to get hanged from a tree like the good old days, only made Trixie feel tired. Where was the seething indignation, the fiery wrath, and burning rage? She knocked on the hardwood door, admiring the architecture as she waited. It was a pretty swank piece of real estate, red brick with whitewashed wooden trim, definitely upscale. The door opened at her fourth knock. The man glaring at her matched his profile headshot, receding hairline, thickening gut, age spots beginning to speckle his face, but she didn't need the app to confirm his identity. Her omniscience had kicked in. What you want, Missy? Knocking on decent people's door this time of night. Trixie didn't bother with any theatrical pyrotechnics or a repent now spiel. She just punched her fist into Tom Ayler's chest and yanked out a handful of viscera. He collapsed, spraying blood and choking on his own bile. With disinterest, she watched him flail and shriek before calling down a white hot leaven bolt to finish him off. She sighed. Yeah. It was still satisfying, ridding the world of another dickhead, but something was missing. Trixie had been a god for so long she barely remembered the time when she'd been mortal, just an earnest supplicant imploring the deities to smite sinners in the name of justice, and an offended sense of, Why hasn't this asshole been horribly maimed or engulfed in hellfire yet? She did remember her euphoric rapture when the karma committee appeared at her door with an oversized certificate of godhood and a bouquet of burning bushes. But she hadn't felt anything but a plodding sense of duty for a long time. A middle-aged woman and a high school-aged youth spilled out of the house, Mr. Ayler's wife, now widow, and son. The woman began to sob and scream, But the boy just regarded the messy corpse of his father for a long moment before turning his scrutiny upon Trixie. "'You the god rained annihilation on my dad?' he demanded. Trixie donned her divine aura with reluctance. "'I am!' she boomed in her best holy thunder voice. She wasn't so good with kids. On the one hand, it was wrong to smite minors. They were innocent, deserving of mercy and forbearance, blah, blah, blah. But on the other, it made her twitch, having to repress the urge to blast foul-mouthed brats into smoldering piles of ash, or at least pillars of salt. "'Guess you heard my prayers,' the boy said. "'Thought the whole faith thing was a scam, but it was either religion or I pop in myself. So, thanks.' Trixie blinked. "'Hold on. You prayed for your dad to get divinely served?' "'This was a first. Normally, the next of kin kicked up a big fuss— cursing her name and promising to blaspheme on their social networks and such like. Huh. You saying you didn't come from my prayers? Well, ain't that random. He scratched his head. Yeah, I prayed. Dad was a wingnut. If Hitler were still around, Dad would have had him over so they could whip out their hate-ons and see whose was bigger. See, my girl's a Latina, and her folks are undocumented. Me and Nydia are getting married. But Dad would have tried to deport them as soon as he found out. You did me a solid, offing him like that. So do I burn an offering or sacrifice or something? Trixie shook her head. I don't deal in prayers. Once a god started taking requests, she ended up spending all her time answering supplicants and commenting on avowals of devotion, having to maintain a presence so her followers didn't get resentful and disillusioned. That right? Go fig. I'm Roy, by the way. He held his hand out, and after a moment, she accepted it. Trixie, she replied, of the Dark Hearts of Sunshine Pantheon. Pleased to meet you. I still want to do you a plus, though. How about I send you an invite to our wedding? She shrugged. Sure? And handed Roy Ayler her god card. It was simple, white cardstock, embossed with stylized pandas and read, Shuffled off this mortal coil by Trixie with her Pantheon affiliation and email address printed beneath. She hadn't wanted anything ostentatious. Tight. I'll drop you an Evite. Trixie took that as her cue to deincarnate, and floated double speed back to her godmobile. That had been a lot less unpleasant than she'd expected. For a change, she hadn't needed her anger management breathing to keep from fiery, sorting and underage douche. But Roy's gratitude made her uncomfortable. She smited because it was her calling, her passion, her raison d'etre, not for mortal thanks. Whenever Trixie started descending into existential doldrums, there was one god who could always knock her halo straight. Beau Bay was a fellow Dark Hearts of Sunshiner, had been doing the Divinity gig for almost a century before Trixie'd been tapped by the Karma Committee, and was both her mentor and bestie. Trixie parked her godmobile in a convenient cul-de-sac before fetching her tablet. Opening an invocation window, she flicked through her Pantheon contacts. To her relief, the mandala icon next to Bobay's profile was illuminated. She long pressed the little round icon and tapped the sacred space option when the context menu appeared. The summoning brr-buzz sounded once, twice. On the seventh ring, it cut off. Trixie expected to hear Bo Bay's voicemail message inviting her to leave a benediction at the tone, but instead, Bo Bay's face filled the screen. "'Hey, baby doll, what's poppin'? Bo Bay had eschewed her customary Dupata headscarf tonight, and her hair hung in raven-black cornrows around her face. "'Nothing. Absolutely nothing. "'You say that so grim-like.' "'I'm going through some lame emo crap.' again? Bobay's scarlet lips pouted in a flirty mew. Can't have that. Her eyes lit with the unholy glow that always heralded tequila shots in an apocalyptic hangover. I know what'll perk you up. There's this new club, Junkyard. Got some prime buffing on tap. Want to meet up there and unload? Okay. I'll text you the link. You coming by Panda Chair? Fuck no. Bobay laughed, a loud bray of amusement. When you gonna requisition yourself some new Vahana critters? Shut up, Trixie muttered. Bobay clicked off with another peal of mirth as a link sprang into existence at the bottom of Trixie's screen. The junkyard wasn't far, about half an hour by Godmobile, depending on traffic, less if there were asshole drivers to spur her along. To her disgust, traffic was both congested and congenial. Drivers navigated the freeway with assiduous courtesy, cheerfully waving her onto the on-ramp with nary an irate horn or shouted expletive to be heard in the creeping bumper-to-bumper traffic. Where's a speed demon or road hog when you wanted one? The junkyard was situated in the newer section of the industrial parkway, nestled between a titty bar and a black-windowed nameless spa with an around-the-back entrance. Unlike the spa, the junkyard brazenly flaunted its presence an animated neon sign of a naked man with well-defined abs, outlined in glowing pink, blazed out front. As fig leaf and pedantic play on words, if one weren't a 100% clear as to the type of establishment this was, a stylized piston and a pair of gears pumped between his legs. Bobet's unicorn-drawn chariot was already parked in the valet section, her night-shift charioteer flipping through a magazine in the prow. Trixie envied Bobay's coal-black Vahanas with their burning eyes and venomous bites. In addition to not passing wind 24-7, they were multi-purpose, being excellent steeds as well as chariot beasts. And they were as impressive as hell. Why hadn't she said, white tiger, or dragon, or even bull, when the Dogma Depot came around? Nope. She had to blurt out, Panda. The junkyard's interior, in keeping with time-honored tradition, was dimly lit, overloud, and redolent of stale beer. A fluttering cherub in bobe's regalia, black leather vest studded with silver unicorns rampant, bobbed and waved for her attention. It wore too much rouge and mascara for her taste, but the purple feather boa nicely complemented its lavender wings. Trixie drifted after it, weaving around a raucous bachelorette party and through a clump of tipsy revelers on a boys' night out, where Bobay lounged in a VIP booth cordoned off by red velvet ropes. A beautiful specimen of humanity, smooth, golden-tan flesh, abs firm enough to do jello shots on, and a wicked smile, bumped and shimmied in time to the driving beat atop the booth's private stage. Trixie, Yo! Bobet waved her over without looking up from the dancer's gyrating derriere. Trixie slid in beside her friend. A frosted margarita glass filled with something rime-hued and frothy appeared in her hand. She downed several gulps, savoring the frozen, citrus-coated burn as it hit her gut, and admired the view. The private stage, more a glorified coffee table with a pole, conveniently situated the dancer's junk at eye level for the appreciation of those in the booth. And there was much to appreciate. The song ended, and Bobay gave the dancer a playful slap on the flank. He pouted and blew a mournful kiss as he sashayed away. "'What I tell you,' Bobe chortled. "'Prime buffting, yeah?' The music started up again, a swell of tempo and distortion too loud to shout over. So Trixie just gave a thumbs up and tossed back another swig of margarita. "'Anyone pretty catch your eye?' Bobay's voice cut through the noise, a minor miracle that Trixie had yet to master. Just point, and I'll set you up. Guaranteed to put a smile on your lips, if you know what I mean. Trixie shook her head. Another time, she'd have been tempted. Hell, another time, and she'd have picked out a harem of glistening bodies to play one-up Bacchus with. No? Bobay granted Trixie her full attention. Okay, frowny, what's up? Tell your Auntie Bobay what storm cloud rained on your picnic, and we'll blast it to Kingdom Come. She twittered at her own atrocious pun. Sometimes Bobay and her sphere of consecration could get a bit over the top. I don't know, Trixie yelled. I'm just not feeling the conviction so much these days. Bobay waved her hand, and a privacy aura cocooned them in a muted bubble. Say what? Is this the omniscience thing again? Trixie grimaced. It was true that she had some unresolved kinks with her omniscience. It blazoned up at random, with pointless or redundant snippets of intel, and when she craved enlightenment, all she got was white noise. But she had her holy tablet as work workaround, slower and less gratifying than the unadulterated rush of total certitude, but way more reliable. "'I keep telling you, sweet pea,' Bobay said. "'Quit trying to force it. You'll get there in your own good time.' Can't go repressing yourself, you know. God's got needs. Start bottling up that divine fervor, and the next thing you know, it's locusts and frogs all over the place. Hey, you considered upping your game? Maybe going after more Osama-caliber lowlifes? Trixie shrugged. I'll fry them if they stumble between my crosshairs, but there just aren't that many sinners in that weight class to change my focus. Too much work for the bang. Plus, I don't want to poach on Irwin's turf. "'He's got his zealous cranked way past righteous "'and deep into blacken the skies and salt the earth. "'Not worth a couple perkier smitings "'to get on the bad side of his apocalypse.'" Bobay nodded, the pearl beads adorning her hair clacking and chiming syncopation. "'You got a point. "'Then if it ain't bigger fish you want to cram in your barrel, "'what's gnawing on your prettiness?' "'Trixie dragged a hand through her hair. "'Nothing I can nail to a cross,' A bunch of little things, I guess. Don't blow off the little things. It's always the little things. Give me a for instance. Well, I'm really done with pandas. Really, really done. Tiny crease lines appeared in Bobay's flawless brow. Seriously? You don't like your pandas? Sure, I rag you, but I'm just teasing, you know. They're hella cute. Hella cute furballs of stink, Trixie said. They are utter fail as Vahanas. You just need to work with them. I mean, check out Ganesha. Poor Sap lost a bet with Ligong and had to ride mice. Mice! But my man G totally stepped it up. You never saw a more hardcore deva than old elephant head coming charging up on his number one mouse. Epic. Yeah, maybe. Trixie contemplated her empty glass. I can't muster any gusto to fear a god the raging tools like I used to, either. I don't know. Maybe I've lost my bliss. Everybody gotta make their own bliss, baby doll. Bobay come hither to waiter in tiger-striped hot pants and matching kitty ears to refill their drinks. Even gods. Then there's today. After I righteous wrath some jerkwad, his kid comes out and thanks me. And get this, he wants to invite me to his wedding. Since when does Trixie, god of smiting, scourge of jerks and dickheads, get thankued? Next thing you know, I'm going to have a franchise of prayer kiosks in all the shopping malls. Bobay leered at the waiter's orange-banded tail. Don't knock the prayer shtick, sugar bumps. Sure, it's mostly marketing and ego-boo, but there's something to be said for putting yourself out there. I know adoration and adulation ain't your thing, but having a direct line to your devotees can be a real pick-me-up. Trixie sighed. It's fine for you. Your worshippers are all yaoi girls in the LGBT crowd. Of course they adore you. But who's going to waste their veneration on me? You might be surprised how many folks appreciate some chlorine dumping in the dickweed pool. I'm not only about pretty boys and g-strings, you know. Uh-huh, you're all about pretty boys without g-strings, too. Bobay clucked her tongue. You think I just stand around and watch while my glam boys get hate-crimed or my closet peeps get blackmailed? I've been elbow-deep in wrathful fury plenty of times. She tossed back the rest of her drink. You know, honey toes, vahanas and fear godding and the whole godhead caboodle is what you make it. I know, I know. It just seems so, I don't know, futile. For every asshat bastard I off, a dozen more step up. Bobay wagged a finger. Haters gonna hate. No point in keeping score. The happy comes in doing what makes you happy. I do love my job, but maybe that's your probs. You're still thinking it's a job. It ain't. It's a sanctification. Doesn't matter what your flavor of holy is, so long as you got faith in you. You are a goddess, girlfriend, and you are fucking divine. Yeah, but Bobay abruptly signaled her to silence her head cocked in an attitude of intense listening. Sorry, baby doll. One of my peeps is having a depths of despair movement. Gotta go talk him down. Help yourself to my tab. Drinks, pole dancers, whatever you like. A flight of lavender-plumed cherubim poofed into existence to escort Bo Bay off. She deincarnated with a flash, popping the privacy aura in a shower of unicorn-shaped confetti. Over the abruptly bone-rattling soundtrack, Trixie heard the whip-crack of Bobay's charioteer, followed by the thunderous hooves of her black unicorns. Bobay did enjoy her crazy, spectacular exits. A gorgeous dancer with dusky skin and hair down to his waist appeared at Trixie's elbow with a brimming margarita pitcher. Trixie had a weakness for men with long, black hair. She let him refill her glass, and when he leaned down to whisper naughty promises of wicked deeds in her ear, she smirked. Why the hell not? Trixie woke the next morning to a ray of buttery sunlight spearing from the heavens straight into her eyes. Apollo, you asswipe! She groaned and flipped him the bird. Contrite cherubim hastened to draw the blinds as dim memories of doing body shots on a steady progression of ripped hotties percolated through Trixie's armageddon of a headache. Also a bone-deep craving to rip the smug sun god from the offensively blue firmament. But that would require her to look upon him again. Damn, devious sun. With a transcendent effort, Trixie called forth a miracle to annul her hangover. In the space of a moment, she was mostly resurrected, snatched from impending martyrdom. However, headache banishment notwithstanding, Trixie remained in a foul mood. Her tablet jingled. After a haphazard rummage, discarded clothes, and empty liquor bottles flung about in her wake, she found it propped against one of her four-inch slingbacks, the latest notification displaying an incoming email pop-up. She'd also missed a half a dozen karmic retribution alerts, a text from Bobay, and a forum reminder of the Dark Hearts of Sunshine ice cream social next fortnight. Dismissing the app notices, she read Bobay's text, Home now, drama handled, Is the junkyard sick or what? And opened her email. To her surprise, it was Roy's wedding evite. That was fast. She'd expected a delay, what with the funeral and all. Her omniscience sputtered awake and pinged her with the incontrovertible surety that Nydia was pregnant. Well, that explained it. She rose to unleash her ire upon the world's dirtbags and dickheads. In the following days, Trixie emailed Roy her RSVP, in between obliterating a sadistic elementary school P.E. teacher and blighting a soccer mom texting in traffic, picked out a wedding gift, a tasteful flatware set, after unraveling the intestines of a community garden vandal with a salad fork, and dithered over her dress, the frilly burgundy taffeta or the sapphire blue strapless, while liquefying a train-gropers' spine. She decided on the burgundy taffeta. And finally, as she ruptured the spleen of a drunken frat boy hollering movie spoilers in a theater, she debated whether to sport her divinity openly at the ceremony or conceal it. On the afternoon of the wedding, she steered her godmobile into the parking lot of the tiny wedding chapel, still undecided. The chapel was consecrated to Pomona, god of weddings and wedding planners. Trixie found Pomona to be a vacuous god, way too preoccupied with designer shoes and cake. But hey... Pomona wasn't in her pantheon. Who was Trixie to judge? Also, due to a spur-of-the-moment smiting, Trixie's fourteenth commandment, thou shalt give way to disabled folks on elevators, or else, she was running late. More eleventh-hour impulse than mindful resolve, Trixie tucked away her divine aura, cloaking herself in mortality. At the chapel door, an earnest young man in a rented tuxedo darted up to bustle her to a seat. The undignified pace didn't permit more than flashbulb impressions. Mismatched decorations that highlighted the chapel's paucity. Baby's breath and honeysuckle wreaths over grimy windows. Dingy lace garlands draped across worn, wooden pews. Further consequence of her tardiness, she had to sit uncomfortably near the front, wedged between the pew end and a sullen-faced little girl with golden curls. The moment Trixie plunked down, the organist began the opening chords of the bridal march, signaling everyone to rise. Trixie sighed and stood back up. At the back of the chapel, an embroidered curtain parted, and Nydia emerged, completely eclipsing the shabby decor and squalid surroundings. Shyly resplendent in white satin and lace, a soft smile lighting her face, she was lovely and serene and joyful. She stepped light as a doe down the aisle, still willowy, despite her delicate condition. By the altar, Roy watched her with single-minded adoration. Enthralled, Trixie almost missed the cue for everyone to sit back down. She perched on the wooden bench, less uncomfortable and more cozy than it had been before. Really, the spectacle of young love would be enough to warm the heart of even the most cynical god of wrath. That is, if said god didn't have some ill-behaved sprog next to her getting on her nerves. The little girl stared at Trixie, kicking her feet, bright eyes hard and suspicious. Trixie glowered back. "'What? Do I have something on my face?' she hissed. "'You floated,' the girl said, her hushed tone accusatory. "'I saw you!' "'Damn!' she'd forgotten to switch off the holy levitation. "'Yeah, so what?' "'You a witch? Witches ain't allowed in church.' "'You see a flying woman and the first thing you think is witch?' Trixie received an admonishing look from the next pew over and lowered her voice. Why not fairy or angel or god? The little girl screwed up her face. You can't be them. You can be a genie, I suppose. But then you'd have to give me three wishes. I want a new PlayStation, a pair of real diamond earrings, and a pony. Mercenary thing, wasn't she? I'm not a genie. Then what are you? Trixie rolled her eyes. I'm a god. Now shut up and quit kicking your feet. The little girl kicked harder. Liar, you're trying to cheat me off my PlayStation. Trixie took a deep breath. Didn't your parents teach you not to mouth off to a god? She gritted. You're no god, can't be. And why's that? You ain't white. Trixie felt her polite mask beginning to crack. You think all gods are white? She exhaled slowly. Calm blue ocean. The girl couldn't be more than nine, an innocent child parroting what her shit-for-brain's elders said. Calm blue ocean. And this wasn't her holy turf. Calm blue ocean. She needed to back off. Turn the other cheek. Everyone knows darkies and colored gods are fakes or devil whores. So you'd better quit lying and give me my wishes, or I'll tell everyone you're a witch, and they'll burn you up. The last of Trixie's good intentions shattered into jagged little shards. Cheek-turning simply wasn't her gospel. She was more the eye-for-an-eye-blow-your-head-off type. Her divine aura erupted from her in a dazzling starburst of fury. Enough! she roared. I am Trixie, scourge of assholes, god of smiting. Behold me! and... A screech cut her off mid-tirade. You get away from her, you filthy devil-spawn! Trixie whirled. She'd been working up to a glorious pinnacle of wrath, a truly magnificent fit of righteous indignation. Who dared interrupt it was Mrs. Marissa Ayler, the mother of the groom, recently widowed. It's bad enough that sperm bourbon gutter slut conroy into marrying her. Mrs. Ayler shrieked now the slut bag what did in my Thomas sh- dares to show her face on hallowed ground. Silence, Trixie clapped her hands, and Mrs. Ayler's mouth sealed shut. I was merciful before I let you live, gave you a chance to repent. "'But you have learned nothing!' Trixie raised her arms and glared at the cowering child at her feet. Flushed with the glory of her godhead, Trixie commanded the cosmos to bequeath its wisdom, and the cosmos obeyed, imbuing her with omniscient grace. "'Kaylee Alexis Ayler, she boomed, her voice resonant and clear. "'You are a vicious, self-centered little girl, taking pleasure in demeaning the weak and less fortunate.' Your mean little spirit will ripen to that of a mean little woman's, without compassion or kindness, doomed to an existence squandered in petty bitterness and perceived slights. A merciful God might look deeper, searching for a spark of decency or an iota of goodness in you to kindle. A just God would leave you to your fate, deeming your self-wrought misery punishment enough for this lifetime. But I am not a just God, and I am sure as hell not merciful." Trixie flung her hand down, engulfing the little girl in a white-hot conflagration. In an instant, all that remained of Kaylee Alexis Ayler was a smoking hole in the threadbare carpet. As for you, Marissa Ayler, Trixie swiveled to the red-faced widow. Your sins... She paused, scowling. Fuck it. You're a stupid bitch, okay? And she raised her to smoldering embers. Trixie looked out upon the assemblage, "'Standing, sitting, or kneeling "'in various attitudes of shock and horror. "'Hell, most of y'all are shitty-ass human beings.' "'She slammed her fists together, "'and a white-hot inferno howled through the chapel. "'Bathed in fire, Trixie loosened the divine might she had, "'until now, not realized she'd been keeping leashed. "'She howled, exulting in the glory of her wrath, reveling as she sundered the unworthy to ash. "'Intoxicated and delirious, Trixie finally got it. She understood what Bobay had been trying to tell her. Raised above the clay to be immortal and supreme, yet Trixie had been inhibited by mortal sensibilities, diminished by the meaningless dregs of insecurity and doubt. Well, she was so over that. She was a fucking god, and she would nuke the shit out of anyone who pissed her off. Panting, Trixie lowered her arms, and the flames snuffed out. As she willed it, Within the heart of the Holocaust, alongside shrill red torches that used to be assembled dearly beloved, Roy, his bride, and nearly half the bridal entourage remained unscathed. Brianna, the maid of honor, could have gone either way, but Trixie had tossed her a bone. She was the maid of honor, after all. "'Feel better, baby doll?' Trixie spun, her fiery eyes skimming over the huddled survivors, to find Bobay leaning casually with arms folded against the scorched chapel wall. "'Didn't see you there,' Trixie rasped. "'I was in the area when one of my peeps gave out a big old "'Bobay, preserve me!' She pushed off the wall, revealing the shivering boy crouched behind her. Between childhood and youth, he was lanky as a colt in his borrowed tuxedo— But despite the ill fit of his clothes and the fading bruise beneath one eye, the delicacy of his features and the promise of beauty were evident. "'It's all right, Shandy,' Bobay coaxed. "'No call for you to quake and quail. You ain't Trixie's type.'" "'Hiya,' Shandy mumbled, his eyes glued to the floor. "'Didn't I say you needed to release some of that pent-up wrath-a-godding?' Bobay said. "'Do you good, letting it out, didn't it? Trixie stood over the charred remains of Kaylee Alexis and Marissa Ayler and grinned. You feel it in your gut now, don't you, baby doll? You ain't the judge no more. You're one of the judges. Bobay linked her arm through Shandy's. See you at the ice cream social, yeah? And they deincarnated in the spray of unicorn confetti. Trixie turned back to the wedding party. She surveyed the wrecked chapel and made a mental note to send Pomona a fruit basket and maybe a pair of next season's Manolo Blahnik's. But for now, she had one more item of business. "Roy and Nydia?' she called. The bride stepped forward, the groom half a step behind. Despite the fear in her eyes, Nadia lifted her chin, defiant. "'Oh, yes. Trixie liked her.' "'I now pronounce you man and wife,' Trixie said. "'Sorry about the mess. Send me the bill.' Nydia and Roy exchanged uncertain glances. "'I was set to give you some lame-ass flatware,' Trixie continued. But instead, I bestow upon thee three blessings. One, for your unborn daughter, a bounty of virtues. She will be bright and badass and as beautiful as her mother. Two, in lieu of the asshole grandmother and grandfather I rid her of, I pledge to be your godmother. If your daughter ever has need of me, I will hear her prayers and come. That cool with you? Roy cleared his throat. Yeah, totes. Good. And three... Trixie faltered, her inspiration run aground. Whose stupid idea was it to package these things in threes, anyway? In three, um, I bless you with a pony. Nydia beamed. Roy blanched. The pony blinked. In hindsight, she probably should have gone with the PlayStation. Right, I'm outie. Trixie snapped her fingers. Her sacred pandas manifested with a pressure-change pop bearing her sedan chair between them. They bowed in unison, a foreleg outstretched. Charmed, Trixie scritched the lead panda's fluffy black ear and contemplated her vahanas. When she was ready, she issued a ringing, Let There Be, and majestic ebony wings unfurled from their shoulders. "'Who's a good boy, Pablo?' she cooed. "'Who's a good boy? Let's get some nummy bamboo shoots and a gallon of gas be gone, kay?' Pablo snuffled his approval. On cue, a trio of black-masked cherubim alighted from the ether and bore her to the newly sprung seat. Trixie took up the waiting reins. Up, Pablo! Up, Pierre! Up, Pavel! and Bert, she called. Up, thou splendid pandas of dread! Fly, my beauties! And borne upon mighty panda wings, Trixie, goddess of smiting, scourge of jerks and dickheads, ascended into the heavens. (laughs)
0: I've been to weddings like that. Seriously, just substitute the Vengeful Goddess with a lot of drink and a lot of geeks, and you're basically there. I'd have preferred to witness the smiting, to be honest. There's a moment in the original Books of Magic series that I always loved. For those who don't know, Books of Magic was a four-issue miniseries featuring a young boy called Tim Hunter, who is destined to be the greatest magician of his age. Yes, black hair. Yes, scruffy. Yes, glasses. Yes, glasses. No, much like Dread and The Raid, this is parallel evolution rather than plagiarism. Anyway, the original four-issue series dealt with Tim being shown different aspects of magic by four different magical characters in the DC Universe. At one point, he's told that he will have to make the choice to let magic into his life or not. Without it, he will always be safe, and he will always be slightly unfulfilled. With it, he will be in constant danger, and completely alive. At the end of the series, in a moment that again echoes through multiple different stories Tim chooses, and his world blooms. For an unusually shaped, unusually minded boy with very dark hair and glasses, seeing that moment got me through a lot of the worst things that were waiting for me, out in the darkness past the day-wide bubble that every child lives in. It didn't save me from them. Make no mistake, no one saves you from them, no one protects you. But you, from the horrors of childhood, you stand or you fall based on your own choices. All anyone else can ever do is help pick up the pieces, and a lot of the time people will choose not to. But it did give me something to aim at. Not even a light at the end of the tunnel, but the promise that eventually I might be able to see light. It's not much, but you get what you get. For the rest, as Trixie knows, there's usually an app. The thing I love about this story is that Trixie has that moment, that transcendental and transformative moment where she chooses to let magic into her life, but instead of making her more, it anchors her, makes her a little bit clay-footed. She gets angry, she gets really angry, digs her hands into the mortal emotions she's suppressed for so long and rips a dirty great chunk out and throws it around, not caring who she hits. It's very subtle writing, not only a moment of transformative emotion, but a moment of omniscience that only comes through that very human choice. Trixie feels something other than celestial ennui, and it feels weird, odd, kind of good. She takes a risk, she lets magic in, she feels something. It's not without cost, certainly in life and property damage, but it's a moment where she knows herself purely and completely, and she comes out the other side so much better for it. So give it a try. Choose magic. Choose technology. Choose technology so advanced it's indistinguishable from magic. Choose a fandom. Choose a fucking big fandom. Choose computers, consoles, smartphones, and electrical heart monitors. Choose good posture, a martial art, and a sonic toothbrush. Choose fixed-rate subscriptions to escape artists. Please choose fixed-rate subscriptions to escape artists. Choose a starter set for a board game. Choose a series-accurate three-piece suite of NCC-1701D bridge chairs in a range of fucking fabrics. Choose RPGs and wondering who the fuck you are on a Sunday morning you sitting on that couch watching mind-numbing, spirit-crushing TV shows because you know they get good next season, stuffing fucking organic snack food into your mouth. Choose fading away at the end of it all, breathing your last in the centre of NORAD, nothing more than an unneeded second leading man to the selfish fucked up rats behind the scenes, safe in the knowledge you'll be back in two seasons anyway. Choose your futures, choose life, choose a skate pod use feedback for episode 383 the first book of flaccid swords escape pod is a production of escape artists incorporated and is released under a creative commons attribution non-commercial no derivatives license escape pod will return next week with keeping tabs by kenneth schneier our closing quote is of course from jk rowling we do not need magic to transform our world we carry all of the power we need inside ourselves already see you next week